Welcome to the Merge Podcast. The Merge is the student ministry of the First Baptist Church in Barnwell, South Carolina. The mission of the Merge is to equip students to love God and His people. Here is student pastor Ryan Holtzclaw. The band, um, they didn't know until late yesterday afternoon that Emily wasn't going to be here. And um, Beth didn't know until three o'clock this afternoon that she was going to be singing. So, uh, man, I appreciate uh, them, her jumping in and, um, and them coming together. They sounded, sounded awesome. So, uh, anyway, I want to welcome you guys to the merge. And uh, my name is Ryan Holtzclaw. I am the student pastor here at First Baptist. And uh, it is great to see all of you guys. Uh, you can go ahead and flip in your Bibles to Exodus 20. <clears throat> Tonight we're going to be looking at the third commandment, taking the Lord's name in vain. That sounds very exciting message, does it? But let's pray, guys. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to stand here. Lord, I, my prayer is that um, that your spirit transcend my body and that uh, the message that is preached tonight, God, is your words uh, flowing through me, Lord. Let me be a vessel, God, uh, so that what needs to be said will be said. And uh, God, I just uh, praise you. I thank you for these students. I thank you for this church that has a heart and a desire to uh, see these students See these guys grow up in a knowledge of you, hoping that they make decisions reflected, um, that reflect a, a life dedicated to you. Uh, God, we honor you. We love you. We praise your name. We hold it in high esteem. And we ask these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What am I getting too close to? <clears throat> All right. Matt Wilkerson lives in Seattle. And in September, can y'all see the screens all right? All right. In September of 2007, Matt decided to take his pet rattlesnake and I had a few beers and he was trying to show off in front of his buddies. So he takes his pet rattlesnake, and he puts it in his mouth, all right? He goes over, gets the rattlesnake out of the cage, and he puts it in his mouth. And the rattlesnake bit him in the very back of his throat. And so this picture that he's holding up is what his face looked like after the venom took over. And... And so Matt put it like this. He says, me being me, I put the snake's head in my mouth. At first, <clears throat> it felt like someone just gave me a shot in the mouth. And within seconds, his tongue began to swell up. His mouth and, and began to swell up, fill his mouth and cut off his airway. He said, it's kind of like when your arm falls asleep. And that painful way that your arm feels when it, you can't shake it. 
is kind of what the back of his throat felt like. Wilkerson was dying because he had done something stupid. Um, they got him to the hospital. They gave him venom shots, and and his everything started uh, going back to normal. It took him several several weeks of of recovery, and uh, his final quote is: "He says, I still love snakes, but I'll take more care in handling them." I don't know if I would stick something that I knew for sure could kill me in my mouth. Um, you know, <laughs> as crazy a thought as that is, um, he, he put a snake in his mouth knowing that it, that it could kill him. And, and as crazy as a thought it is, do you realize that you have something in your mouth that not only destroys other people, but it takes the name of God and it destroys it. Matter of fact, James chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 says, The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider when a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire. And it itself set on fire by hell. Matthew 12, 34, Jesus says, You brood of vipers, how can you call, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The tongue is like a fiery whip. And generally the words that come from your mouth display what is truly inside of your heart. Usually things that you say reflect what's going on in your heart. And, and sometimes, you can, sometimes you can hide what's in your heart. Like sometimes you can, like for instance, one time I was playing basketball with this dude. And there was a group of us out there and we were playing ball together and we were having a great time. And, and he just started, well, he went up and he missed a shot and and he went up, and, and when he came back down, he, he just started cussing because he scuffed his leg on the ground. And, and he never cussed any other time other than this. And then he was using some words that you just, you know, he was using the bad ones. I mean, not the little cuss words, but the, I mean, big daddies. And, and so he, uh, what he showed me and what he showed some other people that day is that, you know, you can kind of control what you say sometimes, but, but most of the time, it's eventually going to come out. The real you will come out, and it'll flow out of your mouth. And, and because generally, if the heart is corrupt, the mouth will be corrupt. And so, so when you, the, the idea tonight is this. When you misuse the name of God or the name of Jesus, then, then you're demonstrating how you truly feel about God and about Jesus. And, and you're demonstrating, uh, when you take his name and you use it in a way that you should not, you're demonstrating the lack of respect that you have for God and his son, Jesus Christ. So tonight we check out the third commandment. It's simple. It says in Exodus 27, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord, your God. 
For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. You know, when you were born, your, your mom and dad, they, they gave you a name that, that is special and unique to you. And, and when others begin to talk about you or they spread rumors about you, it, it kind of it hurts your character, right? Because, because a rumor, yeah, people may forget about a rumor for a little while, but a lot of times that rumor can really reflect on you and it can reflect on you for quite some time. I mean, that's the worst thing that can happen to somebody in school, right, is, is these rumors that go around about people. And generally, they're started by, by people that just like talking about others. But, but anyway, when, you, when those rumors are started about you and people are talking bad about you, um, it, it kind of hurts your character. Well, it's the same way as it is with God. When we talk bad about him, when we try to live our life one way and, and try to make people think that we live this way and then yet we really are living this way, we're reflecting uh, a bad on God. We're telling others that we really don't take it serious. In the Old Testament, God gave Moses his personal name to tell the people. And it's Yahweh, and it's spelled Y-H-W-H. And this is God's personal name. And, and it, was, it was considered throughout the Old Testament. It was considered uh, blasphemous to say the name of God. And so most of the time, Yahweh was only written. It was hardly ever spoken. The Israelites were not to use his name for any, uh, for any idle or lighthearted or insincere purpose. They, they could not uh, speak his name when taking an oath and having no intention of keeping it. As a sign of their respect for God, the people were to exercise the greatest caution when talking about him or invoking his name. They were to say nothing which might detract from, the, from a true appreciation of his nature and his character. God's name is powerful. And we just sometimes, we just toss it around like it means nothing. But God's name is powerful. In the New Testament, Jesus said that, he said that you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Holy be your name. Sacred be your name, God. People in Acts 3, 6, we see where people were healed at the mention of God's name. Demons were driven out by Jesus. Demons were driven out by the apostles in the name of God. In Philippians 2.10, it says that every tongue will confess and every knee will bow before God. His name is powerful. His name deserves to be respected. However, as reverent as the name of God is, and as reverent as it was in their time period, and it's, it's that reverent now, there were still those that misused God's name, and they paid for it when they did. There's a story in Acts 9, 13 through 17, where there were some Jews who were... Who were um, 
They were going around and they were casting out demons. And they were doing it in the name of God. And they came upon some demons and they tried to cast them out of the person. And and the demons spoke back to these Jews that were were trying to uh, lie. And those demons said, hey, you know what? We've heard of Jesus. We know who that is. And, And we know who Paul is. But we don't know who you are. And so instead of being cast out... These demons instead attacked these Jews. And, and the Bible says that, that the men ended up running out of the house and they were bleeding and they were naked because these, these demons just tore them up. And so when this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear at the name of Christ Jesus. And they understood that his name was to be held in high honor. Guys, we don't hold that name in high honor now. We toss it around. We misuse his name. We don't hold it in reverence the way that we should. Here's some ways that we misuse his name. First of all, we trade his name for a cuss word. How many of you get mad And that's what you throw out there. I hear that one a lot. One of my favorite TV shows to watch is uh, The Extreme Home Makeover. Really like it. Ty Pennington is pretty cool. Cat. Voice gets on my nerves. I don't know why somebody that loud needs one of those megaphone things. But anyway, when, we watch, when I watch that show, I get so annoyed when right after these, these people walk into their brand new house that's been built for them, and, and every time they walk into a room, I mean, you watch it, watch it, watch five shows in a row, and I guarantee you that is what they'll say every time they walk into a room. And, and I don't think that they're praising him. All right, they're just doing it in a way to uh, not bring honor to God's name. They're just saying it. Well, then there's the big daddy. The cuss word of all cuss words, and they're all bad, and they're all make you sound ignorant. If you cuss, let me tell you something. When, When I was a kid... And I was your age, man, I used to cuss like crazy. But, but, now, but now that I'm the age that I am and I hear some of you and the way y'all talk or even other adults and the way they talk, the first thing that I think is, man, th- those people are ignorant. They don't have anything else to say. So those are the words that they come up with. And, and so, so you cuss and, and everything, but then especially when you take God's name and you place it in there with those cuss words. You're not really referred to him as being good. We misuse his name when we trade it for a cuss word. We misuse his name to establish authority for selfish reasons. Right? One of the, the worst things that, that a girl, a Christian girl, can tell a guy is, God told me to do this. I'm breaking up with you. 
I've heard that so many times. Or, or, or my favorite one, God told me to blow up that abortion place. God told me to kill my husband. God told me to kill my mom and dad. No, he didn't. God told me that we should be together. Now, fellas, we won't even go there tonight. God told me to go and do that which is contrary to his word. God will never tell you to do anything that's contrary to the Bible. And the Bible says, thou shalt not kill. So God's not going to tell you to go off and kill. And I know some of you are probably thinking, well, he told certain people in the Old Testament to go and take out these towns and and wipe out these people and, and kill them. And you know what? That's a great point. However, what we have to understand about God is that he is sovereign. And that means that God can do whatever he wants Whenever he wants, however he wants. And he had a reason and a purpose. Because most of the time when he said, go wipe out that land, it was to take his people and move them into that land. That's a whole nother Bible study. Misquoting or putting sayings in God's mouth. If you don't know the Bible, don't try to quote it. I'm trying to think of, of one of the myths of the, of the Bible. Something that people say the Bible says that it really doesn't. There's a lot of them. One is like the money is the, is, uh, the root of all evil. Everybody says that money is the root of all evil. It actually says the love of money is the root of all evil. Um, there's some other ones, but anyway, check this video out. Angie, this is not an easy thing to say. I know we've spent three wonderful months together, and I know before that we both pretty much liked each other. For five years we liked each other. But sometimes that thing we want so much... No, that's not good. Sometimes what we see as best for our lives isn't what God sees as best for our lives. That being said, I think that we... No. No, I think that you and I should... After much prayer and deliberation, I feel that God wants us to break. To spend some time apart. Please. I know this is hard. I know we had a romantic night just four days ago, but those feelings just aren't there. And you don't want to be in a relationship as unstable as that, do you? Hey there. Hey, sweetie, how are you? Fine. Feeling better? Much better, thanks. Where are we going for dinner? Listen, before we leave, there's something I wanted to talk to you about. Oh, yeah? Yeah, have a seat. Okay. Oh, I meant to ask, did you get those tickets? Huh? Oh, you mean Phantom? Yeah. No, I didn't get them. You didn't? No. Let me explain what I wanted to talk about, and I think you'll understand. Okay. Angie? Josh? 
Angie, this is not an easy thing to say. We've spent three wonderful months together, and I know before that, we both pretty much liked each other. For five years, we liked each other. Four years. Only four? Yeah, I, I thought you were a creep at first, remember? Oh, yeah. Well, well, time is not the issue here. What matters is... I mean... Angie, sometimes what we have in mind as best for our lives isn't what God sees as best for our lives. I think I know what you're trying to say. Please, let me finish. I know Josh, this is... it's okay. Okay? Yeah, in fact, it's pretty ironic that you say this because... Well, because in praying and deliberating about our relationship, I feel that God wants us to spend some time apart. by starlight to sting. I know, I know, only four days ago we had that romantic night, but, well, those feelings, they, they just aren't there. And you don't want to be in a relationship as unstable as that, do you? But how in the world can those feelings be there one day and gone the next? I don't know. I guess the Lord works in mysterious ways. You're serious. This is God's doing? God told you to break up with me? More or less. I can't believe this is happening. So it uh, kind of got reversed on him, and uh, he tried to use God's name in a way that it shouldn't, and uh, girls, it, it doesn't work. Anyway, so, so we misuse God's name when we try to do it for our own selfish gain. When we falsely swear by his name, we are misusing the name of God. I swear, man, that's, I swear to God, that's what happened. I swear, I will put my hand on a Bible right now. I swear to God, that's exactly what happened. Go ahead and keep swearing on your mother's grave, okay? Because you might as well disrespect her and not God. The last one, the fourth point that I want you to see is this. And this is where we're going to spend a little bit of time. We disrespect God... When we, miss, when we misuse his name with our lives. Alexander the Great once came up on a soldier who was sleeping. He looked at him and he asked him what, what his name was. And the soldier said, my name is Alexander. Alexander the Great then looked at him and said, change your actions or change your name. Check this clip out. He's been called the most controversial Christian in the world, Reverend Canon Gene Robinson of New Hampshire, the first openly gay bishop in the Episcopal Church. His election back in 2003 set off a firestorm of controversy. In fact, during his consecration, he had to wear a bulletproof vest because threats had been made on his life. It's only one of the revelations that appear in his new book, In the Eye of the Storm, Swept to the Center by God. Bishop Robinson, welcome back. It's nice to see you. Good morning. I wish I had brought my bubbles. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. tiny bubbles on the show. You were here. I, I read that revelation. You were here just a couple of days right. after your consecration. We sat in these same seats and we talked, and I had no idea that you were living under death threats, no idea that you had to wear a bulletproof vest. Why did you not tell me then, and why are you telling everyone now? You know, uh, when you try to love the world the way God loves the world, you're going to get in trouble. 
the prophets in Judaism got in trouble. Jesus got in trouble. And when you when you try to love everyone the way God loves everyone, uh, you're going to get into trouble. So it goes with the territory, is what it you're does. saying. And if it does, there are still people who are vehemently opposed to you becoming a bishop. So are you still fearful fearful for your life? Well, my my life is already under threat again um, for my attending the Lambeth Conference this summer. But uh, we're, we're told in Scripture that it will always be costly to follow in God's way. Back when we talked, uh, one of the first times before your consecration, I asked you, I said, would you step down if becoming a bishop creates a huge rift or a rift within the Episcopal Church? And you said, you started to say yes, and then you said, I've prayed a lot. I've prayed a lot about that. The fact remains that about 100 parishes or 100 churches in this country have split with the Episcopal Church, and they are now more closely aligned with the much more conservative bishops of the Anglican Church in Africa and South America. Do you feel guilt about that? Well, let's remember that that's 100 parishes out of nearly 8,000 in the Episcopal Church. So it's important to keep that in proportion. But again, you know, conflict is no surprise to the church. It's, it's been there since the very beginning. Let, let me re- read you something you write in the book. You say that the traditional understanding of what the Bible says about homosexuality is flawed and needs to be reinterpreted. What is the major flaw, in your opinion, where has the subject been misinterpreted? Well, briefly, if we can. Absolutely. We've, we've often misinterpreted Scripture. We use Scripture to justify slavery, the subjugation of women, and now we're realizing that what the Bible initially seems to say about same-sex relationships is not actually uh, what we're talking about today. So, so is that one man's interpretation because that interpretation suits that one man? Well, I, uh, it's the interpretation of many biblical scholars today that what what the scriptures is talking about uh, are are not what we're talking about today. Faithful, monogamous, lifelong intentioned relationships between people of the same sex. Let me go back to the Lambeth Conference, which you just referred to a second ago. It's a once a decade gathering of Anglican. For out of the mouth, for out of the overflow of the heart, I should say, the mouth speaks. This guy is a gay bishop. And he claims to to love God. He claims to know Scripture. He claims that he can interpret Scripture. And he claims that for over many centuries that, that we have misinterpreted Scripture when it relates to homosexuality. And, and so what he's doing, guys, is he's taking bits and pieces of Scripture because he's right. God does love you. God does love you. God, God desires to have a relationship with you. God does love you. God sees the world differently than we see the world. God doesn't judge you. because He doesn't judge uh, the people that are homosexuals. He judges their sin. He despises their sin. Paul says that being gay is unnatural. Revelation says that they will be cast into the lake of fire along with the sexually immoral. What he's doing is he's taking bits and pieces of Scripture and he's piecing them together for his own benefit to try to get us to think that he's right. And he's trying to justify his sin. Guys, we misuse the name of God when we try to especially take his word and we, mis- we misuse it to justify our sin. And, and, you know, him being gay, that was just one point. There are ministers that do the same thing. Like, 
like Benny Hinn is a minister. And, and he misrepresents God's word on a consistent basis to make money for himself. You that come in here and you claim that you live one way or you come in here and you want ever, the adults and people like that to think that you live this way and that you have all this knowledge of the Bible but then you go out and you make these horrible decisions with your life or you intentionally make bad decisions you're, you're, you're not misrepresenting yourself just misrepresenting yourself you're misrepresenting God's name and if you truly loved God you would not do that if you truly wanted to have a relationship with him you would not do that you would feel guilty about being a hypocrite you can't walk in here and try to be all high and mighty and have people think good of you and then walk out there and live your life to impress your friends. You can't do that. Well, you can, but you're taking the Lord's name in vain and you're doing it in a major way. And for me, when I hear about people that live this kind of life, I don't sit back and go, man, that poor soul, they're, they're just confused. No, I sit back and I think, man, I'm really worried about their salvation. You know, it's one thing to, to accidentally, or it's one thing, not accidentally, it's one thing to slip up and sin. All right, it's one thing to, to mess up, but it's one thing to choose a lifestyle of sin while claiming to be a Christian, while claiming to follow God, while claiming to love his word. If you love his word, then you will take his word and it will change who you are. You'll be something very different. The Bible says that when you get saved, it is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. And really that word in, it means through you. Christ becomes you. Your decisions are no longer your decisions. You live your life, Christ living through you. And anytime you separate that, that is sin, and there's a conviction that happens within you. The Holy Spirit that is there living in your life, living through you, it, conv it convicts you. And so you don't intentionally live that way. And when you do so, you might as well take the Word of God. You might as well take it, open it up, and just rip the pages out of it. Because pretty much that's what you're doing anyway. When you say you love God, but yet you, and you come in here and you sit up here and you praise him and you worship him, you don't really understand what you're praising and what you're worshiping when you live that way. When you say that you love God, but then yet you go out on a date with your boyfriend or girlfriend and you're sleeping together or you're sleeping with many people. Or you go to parties and you get drunk. 
Or do you cuss a lot? You tell lies. You disobey your mom and dad. When you do those things, and you do those things intentionally, just go ahead and rip up the Bible. Curse God because that's what you're doing with your life. That's what you're doing with the decisions that you are making. And the question that you need to ask yourself, if you're doing those things and you're not convicted about it, number one is, why do I do this? Why do I try to pretend I, 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 that's, that's senseless, that's pointless to try to pretend that you're something that you are not? And the second thing that you need to ask yourself is, am I really saved? Now, here's the deal. I do not believe that you will ask yourself if you're really saved, if you're not convicted about what you're doing. You've got to be convicted about what you're doing. A lot of people can claim to be saved. A lot of people can raise their hand and say, yeah, I'm saved. But if it doesn't change your life, if it doesn't cause you to stop misrepresenting God's name, then, then it meant nothing. When you are saved, it is no longer you who lives, it is Christ living through you. It's a different you. It's a different person. And there's example after example after example of folks that got saved at one point in their life or they thought they did. Nothing happened. Nothing changed until they were a little bit older and they realized that, that they never really were saved. And then they got saved and Christ started living through them and it changed who they were. It changed the way they thought. It changed the decisions that they made. When God changes your heart, the things that come out of your mouth are worthy because they're praising Him. And the decisions that you make are worthy because they're honoring, to, honoring Him. So you, you know, you, you got to choose it's either one way or the other. Hey, if you're trying to live both life, God doesn't want your praises. He can't hear them anyway. He doesn't care about your praises if you're not honoring him. You got to choose, man. When you really truly care and love someone, you don't disgrace them with your words or with your decisions. But for some reason, it's real easy for us to disgrace God with our words and with our decisions. It's very simple to do that. And the truth is, is sure, 
if, if that's how you want to live, go ahead and do it. I hope and I pray that you stop. But if, if that's the way you're going to live, then go ahead and do it. Live that life. Live that life of trying to fool people. Walk that line. Because the reality is you're not fooling God. You can try to convince yourself that God doesn't exist, that hell doesn't exist. You can try to convince yourself of a lot of things. But the reality is, is that if you're not saved, you're choosing hell. That's your choice. And you will live with it for eternity. It's either one or the other. So either open up your eyes. Understand how much God loves you and desires to be with you and has a passion about having a relationship with you. And how bad he wants to take your life and use it to bring other people around you to that same loving knowledge of him. Grab a hold of that. If, if you're saved and, and you just hadn't been living that way, but yet you know for sure you're saved, you're just, you're just at a point in your life where, where you're making some bad decisions and, and you're living a life that, that you know, you feel guilty about it, but you hide the guilt, you bury the guilt. Man, it's time to get that right with God. It's time to get that right with God, to get rid of whatever sin it is that's, that's holding you back, and to begin to honor him with your life and with your words. If you're not saved, you've heard it a million times. You may walk out this door and never walk back in. You never know. I'm afraid that you've heard that so many times that you've become immune to it. I wish there was an illustration for the reality of what happens if you choose the world over God. I, I tried to illustrate that one time and I caught a floor on fire. It didn't go over very well. I want you guys to think about the life that you live and the decisions that you make. And if you're representing God with your life and you claim to represent God with your life and you claim to represent him uh, with your words, then do it. Don't just play like you do it and don't just talk like you do it, but actually do it. And how do you do that? You make right decisions for him and you allow Jesus to live through you and you tell others about him. Your conversations are God conversations. They're not improper, unholy conversations. You don't walk around and you say, well, I only cuss when I get mad. Well, that doesn't make it right. Well, me and my girlfriend, we only do it when we're really tempted. The temptation's so difficult. Well, guess what? If she's tempting you or you're tempting her, get out of the relationship. Get out of it because that relationship is nowhere near as important as your relationship with God. I only drink every now and then when I'm hanging out with my buddies. 
Well, guess what? Make some new friends. Get rid of them. Start living your life for God if you claim to live it for him. Otherwise, just go crazy and live however you want because that's pretty much what you're doing anyway. Thank you for listening to the Merge Podcast. For more information about the Merge Student Ministry, please go to www.mergestudents.com.